0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Father. In spite of whatever anyone may be going through, it is always joy to be in your presence. And in your presence, there is always joy. So this morning we just want to thank you for the gift of life. We are blessed because you gave us one more day in the land of the living. One more day to prepare to meet you. One more day to finish our race well. One more day to fight that good fight. One more day to serve this awesome God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Now even as we are in your presence, we pray, Lord, you give us the heart and the spirit of Mary, Lord, who sat at your feet and heard. You said, One thing we need is what Mary had. We pray, Lord, today we will put away all those busyness and all those things that concern life aside and just be still in your presence and know that you are God. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know the past uh, few weeks, including yesterday. Yesterday, we, of course, for, it was for pastors. So we went in in uh, much uh, detail. For those of us uh, who were there, we know that uh, from that illustration also, which we put up on the screen. And we know from, from Jesus, when he talked about the house, the two houses illustration in the parable, the two houses. The wise man and the foolish man and the two houses that were built and uh, the wisdom of the wise man, the house or the life that he built and even the church. I was telling the pastors how we build a church and you see the difference between the two people was connected with the foundation. The wise man dug deep until he reached the rock. And it was on that rock he built his house. And Scripture talks about God as the rock. He's called the rock of salvation. The Word of God is the rock, and we build our lives around the Word of God. That is the foundation. And in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, six and verse one and two, it talks about the six foundational doctrines. Our lives should be built on. That and every church should build the congregation on that, and the first that 's our first step is called repentance from dead works okay that's how it happens repentance from dead works and faith towards God so yesterday, in detail, four hours, four and a half hours, we looked at the first brick, as I called it for the pastor's sake, the first brick that's the most you no. Know? I was telling them when you're building a house, you dig deep, you lay the foundation. But imagine the first brick and the second brick or the first two layers, you use the cheapest cement and the cheapest sand and the low quality brick. And then you built over it with fine material. You know what? It makes no difference. When the storm comes, it will break. When the day of evil comes, you will collapse. When the day of judgment, you will find you are nowhere near God. That's why the first two bricks are the most important. Three, four, five, we can disagree doctrine of baptisms and laying of hands and eternal resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. You can have different ideas about it, but you cannot negotiate with one and two. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Okay, keep that in mind always. This is the most important. And they go simultaneously. Repentance in itself doesn't have great value unless it turns us to God. Because that is genuine repentance. Genuine repentance is not only turning away from sin, but the inability after that to see that you cannot save yourself. Okay. What has gone wrong? Honestly, what we what hap, what has gone wrong is you will you will see is that. Church is not the place for evangelism. Church is the place for those who are saved. Place of teaching. Okay, place of teaching. And you need to understand this. Sometimes when you hear the word of God, you get very offended. It's simply because you are not saved. It's simply because you are not saved. You are not in the kingdom. You are outside. And therefore, you get offended with the word of God because it is for children. It's for God's children. And God was very clear about it when the Canaanite woman came and asked for healing for her daughter. David, son of Jesus, son of David. He even refused to speak to her. refused to speak to her because of the way she addressed him. The disciples said, send her away. She's disturbing us. Send her away. And then she said, Lord, have mercy. And his first response was that bread from the table are for the children. Children. And I always teach pastors and say, when people are not saved and all, don't teach them to pray our Father who art in heaven, because God will not answer them. Just tell anybody to generally say Almighty God, which is true for everybody is Almighty God. And he blesses everybody. But salvation It's a different matter altogether. Once you are saved, he becomes your father. And the father speaks differently to his children. And if you are not a child, you don't understand the discipline of the father. You don't understand the discipline of the father. You get offended. But the child who is getting disciplined by the father understands it. Even if inside you are a little offended, you still understand that's your father. That's what scripture says when David brought the ark into the temple, into Jerusalem, and the man died, Uzziah died, he was angry and he was afraid. First he was angry. Mm, why didn't you accept my offering? Then he realized, that's my dad, that's my father, that's my God. Let me find out why did he do this. And he found it three months later, the ark is in the in the city. Okay, so please understand this. It's a good thing. It's a good thing when you hear the word of God, you are offended. Because it tells you you are not saved. It's not a bad thing. Like we tell, doctors will tell you, fever is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. If you did not have fever, you would not know actually you are ill. Fever is the symptom. It's not the disease. Pain is a good thing. At least you know nerves are working. The poor leper whose wife, the lady, the leper who is cutting vegetables, chops her fingers up, she has no clue. So pain is not your enemy. Pain is your friend if you know how to deal with it. Okay. So when you get mad, when you hear the word of God, it's very good. It's very good. It tells you you are not saved. So go to God and say, Lord, what should I do? To be saved. That's the first cry in the new covenant once the sermon is preached on the day of, what must we do? What must we do? What must we do? And the answer is repent and believe. Okay, so keep that at the back of your mind and let's go to today's first text from Exodus 33 verse 12 to 14. And Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up these people. But you have not let me know whom you will use, you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found grace in So This is a pastor, okay, senior pastor, Moses, three or six hundred thousand men, women, children, congregation. He's, this is, this is how pastors talk to God. Okay, okay. Lord, you are telling me take these people this way. But how do I take these people this way? You say you know me, you know my name, but Lord, I'm totally confused. I know how to walk, but I don't know how to take them. I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray. This is, this is you know, it's so well in this church, but a lot of places people do not know. This is the incredible prayer of Moses. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. That's his prayer. Lord, show me your way. Teach me your way. Then I will know which way to go. Teach me your way. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I personally feel this is probably the what you call, the, everybody's life, there is a life-changing movement. Everybody's life. No, in my life, I can tell you exactly. Nineteen ninety-four, March twenty-six. That's when the Lord walked into the room and touched me with His physical hand. My life has never been the same again. Life changing. Literally changed the direction of my life. Okay. So I mean, you don't need to have those experiences. I'm not saying, "Oh, now I'm waiting for God to come and touch my life." No, 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 no. That's why I rarely witness or testify what I have gone through because I don't want you to put your faith on those things. I want you to put your faith on this, this alone, sufficient, kafi hai, enough, more than enough. Okay. So here, but this is is life changing moment in his life. One prayer earlier. He had heard the voice of God from the burning bush. It had changed his life. He had walked in and out of the presence of the Pharaoh with the rod of God. He had seen the incredible power of God manifested in those ten plagues. He had seen the Red Sea part. They had crossed over He had seen the Red Sea close and the armies of Egypt destroyed. He had seen manna come from heaven and quail come from heaven and water from the rock. Then three months later, he's on Mount Sinai. He comes down. It's a terrible day. Three thousand die. That's when Levi is Levi, Levi is joined to God and they go out in and kill three thousand people. There was, if you look at that narrative in that order, there is the tent of meeting. That tent is where Moses goes in, God comes and God talks to Moses there. And all the people stand far away and watch. They knew something is happening over there. God is talking to Moses. And I believe that's where this conversation takes place. Show me thy way. When he asks his prayer to God, show me thy way. God's answer is in he connects his way to his presence. Okay, his presence. What he says is, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So the only thing you need to be careful about, Moses, is to guard my presence in your life. That's the only thing you have to be very careful. In the new covenant, God will always say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 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 Because the Holy Spirit in our life is the manifest presence of God. He guides us. That's what Jesus said. I will not leave you orphans. When I go, I will send somebody just like me. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you is so telling them my presence will come and my presence will lead you you just follow my presence in the new in the next generation there is no moses there is a joshua so god will tell through joshua tell them to follow the ark keep a distance keep a distance meaning don't get too familiar with my presence keep a distance you know uzziah got very familiar with the ark and he died don't get too close Follow the ark because the ark signified in the new co- in the old covenant after Moses the presence of God. The problem is this: the problem is why do we preach on repentance for so many weeks? In Isaiah fifty-nine and verse two, scripture says, "But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear." The only thing that can block God's presence for me is my sin. It's for a child of God. That's why we preach. And what is repentance? Repentance is the way back to the presence of God. Repent. Faith towards God. That's the way back. So I 59 verse 2 and so many places through the Bible God says, what takes us away from the presence of God? What blocks the presence of God as experiencing the presence of God? It is sin. Sin for the unbeliever, sin for the believer are two different things. For the unbeliever, he is born in sin, shaped in iniquity, so he's separated from the presence of God. So all the things that he hears about God just goes over his head. He doesn't understand this personal God. So he has to repent and first enter into the kingdom of God. He has to be born from above. That's what he's telling the great theology in Nicodemus. Unless you're born by my spirit, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. That's the first step, Nicodemus. All your theology is irrelevant. Once you're born again, you enter. Once you enter, you experience my presence. Then you walk by faith. So in the new covenant for the believer, scripture says, whatever is not of faith is... Sin. So the minute you're walking by faith, you go to into sight, presence goes, your GPS goes, no signal. That's the problem. You want to continue to walk in the presence of God, you have to continue to walk by faith. So constantly the problem is, what happens is, the believer is going by faith, circumstances are being created, God allows, so that it's a test of our faith, the devil using that same thing. To turn us away. Now what happens is, the walk of faith, I am going like this. And I got confused, tested, tempted, whatever, and I went like this. Now I am here. I need to get back with God. Now I am stuck. I don't know which way to turn. I I want to get back with God. And the problem is, many, many believers think, you can get back to God like this. No, you can't. You have to get back to God like this. That's a very humbling thing. You have to go back. Not in time, but in your heart. Where did you go off track? There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There is nothing like that. This is not the GPS which will reroute you. No, it will take you back. It will take you back. And God says, go back there. There you repent. Continue your walk with me. Remember, it's, it's the walk of faith is not the way you think. That's why we go back to scripture and we learn. And God says the block is sin. Sin blocks the presence of God, for an unbeliever or a believer, it blocks. That is why you see this record in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. as And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Earlier before they sinned, they walked in the presence of God and they had rest. Now when the presence of God comes into the garden, they are hiding from his presence because it is their very sin that is making them flee. Your iniquities have separated you from me. It is a God who is coming in search of man. It's a man who is running from God. So that's what God is talking about. What does sin do? Sin causes darkness and we lose our way. The more the darkness, the more you are lost. The more you are lost. Remember, before the plagues are there, one, two, over Egypt, Moses, the rod of Moses, the rod of God is bringing judgment, 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 judgment over Egypt, hoping this judgment will change the heart of Pharaoh to let God's people go. Now this is not the final judgment, the one before that, You will see in Exodus chapter 10 verse 21 to 23. Moses, Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may be even felt. Could feel it. The darkness was so thick. Can you imagine something like that? The darkness was so thick you could feel it. Absolute pitch blackness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. How many days? Three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Okay. This is symbolic. Actually God is teaching us through all this. Egypt's rebellion it started let my people go. The rod was put. That was the first sign. They also duplicated it. But Moses' rod or Aaron's staff swallowed the other. From there onwards. Now they have rebellion is at the highest. When rebellion of man is at the highest, the darkness is also at its height. Understand that? Your darkness is not the same. Everybody's darkness is not the same. When your rebellion is at the highest, your darkness is at the highest. So you will see rebellion in his heart is at his highest and Saul is absolutely blinded. He is surrounded by his enemies. He cries. God won't answer him through the word, through the prophet, through the priest, through the urim. Nothing, darkness has enveloped him. No voice of God at all in his life. We have to be very, very careful because the world is coming to that point. Coming to that point, it's come to that point where moral darkness has covered the senses of men. They are not even able to suffer. No, and we don't have to talk about India or China. or These are all primarily non-believing nations. We have to talk about so-called Believing nations, what is happening over there. And we have to ask, it's right before your eyes. How is that people are not able to see? The reason is, it's pitch black, darkness, which you can almost feel. Yet God's people will have light. There will be light in the dwelling place of God's people. Isaiah prophetically sees this in the last days and this is what he says in Isaiah 60. Behold darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. This is talking about what they saw in Egypt was a physical darkness but it is, this is talking about a spiritual moral darkness. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you and the gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising he says in the midst of this darkness you will stand out not because of who you are but because of in whom you believed no and you will see this throughout scripture if you see genesis you have this pharaoh who has this Two dreams, and nobody is able to interpret it. Everybody is scared. The king is mad. So you have a situation, there's absolute darkness. Nobody is able to show light. There's one young Hebrew boy in the prison upon whom there is light. And he's able to show.
1: And again, in Nebuchadnezzar's
0: case, you will see the same situation. The king has dreams, he's so mad, he's planning to execute everything. He won't even tell them the dream. He says, not only totally you have to give me the interpretation, first you tell me what did I dream. And they are shocked. They said, sir, nothing like this has ever happened. How can I tell you what you dreamt? He says, you try with all your magic, arts and chants and everything. Okay. And then there was a young man. Also they called Daniel. Upon him was light. Okay, so remember, this is what scripture is talking about. This light will dawn on those who choose to draw close to God. Who choose to walk in the presence of God. But these are real pictures given to us. Darkness and light. Sin blinds our eyes. And we are not able to experience the presence of God. Therefore the purpose of repentance is. We turn from darkness towards light. From sin to righteousness repentance from dead works and faith towards God. and Paul will put it all beautifully through it all in scripture. So remember, this is the gospel. That's how we preach everywhere. Paul says from town to town, house to house, this is what I preached in Acts chapter 20. Uh, How I kept back? Nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Both is connected with God. Both is connected with God. You cannot uh, repent outside God. I was... uh, trying to explain it to a couple of pastors during the lunch break, you know this is how it works, you need to understand how God works and how the systems of the world works. You have what is called the law canon law every every country is established on a set laws, the law. When you keep the law, what you have the product of the law is justice. When you have justice, the product of it is righteousness. that is how it works. You have law. You have justice, and you have righteousness. So, in this justice part, okay, like let's use the example of U.S. because easy. Congress makes laws. The laws are upheld by the Justice Department, the courts, the police, the government. Everything upholds the laws. If you uphold the law, the end result of it should be what? Righteousness. Now, what happens over here is. God's law is based on truth. That's why Paul says the law is holy. God's law is based on truth. What does the devil do? What does scripture say? What in the time of Daniel? What will he do? He won't change justice or righteousness. He won't touch there. He will change the law. The problem is the minute you change the law. How does he change the law? How are laws being changed? It is not based on truth. It is based on science. It is Based on the will of the people. It is based upon popular culture. The law is changed here. The problem now, the law is not based on truth anymore because truth is no longer permanent, absolute. It is relative. You can keep changing as it goes. As the mood swings, you can keep changing it. So what has happened? Laws are changed. But what happens? The outworking justice. So yesterday homosexuality was illegal. Today it is legal. So today if you speak against it, the law kicks in. Did you see that? Law kicks in. But that's how it works. Justice kicks in. But the product of it is not righteousness. It is unrighteousness. That's what scripture says in Romans. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. The product is unrighteousness. So devil is very smart. He's very smart. He will not talk about justice. He will not talk about righteousness. He will talk about the law. He changes the law and then everybody is fighting for justice. What do we want? Justice. Why? The law. The law. That's what you are seeing in America. You have people, believers don't know what to do because the laws have been changed. But this is what you believe. You know this is truth. So you have a baker. A baker is asked by a homosexual couple. They will deliberately go to a Christian baker. There are plenty of other bakeries. They won't go there. They will come here because this is conflict. And tell, we want uh, cake to be baked for a wedding. And we want to have these symbols all over there, which is connected with homosexuality. And he says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Why? It's against what I believe. So they take him to court. And the state brings the law. And they shut him down. And they will say, we have one, justice has prevailed. Understand this. Sometimes the problem is, because we do not know the word of God, we are also holding, and the end product is unrighteousness in our life. And we are fighting for justice, because our thinking is warped. Our thinking is warped. That is why the first thing is repent. And even repentance is towards God. It's towards God. Repentance has to start from the word of God. That's why you repent. Understand that because that's the nature of sin. It blinds. It blinds. So scripture says, this is what the gospel is. Sin blinds. And this is the constant in the Bible. God says, if you repent and cleanse yourself and turn to God, you will see clearly. You will hear clearly. God always speaks. Problem is with my ears. God is always willing to communicate. Problem is with my heart. He says there's no problem with God. Why? He never changes. He's always the same. So I have to change towards God. That process is called sanctification. You look at Exodus 19 verse 10 and 11. Given to us in symbols over there. When God is going to speak to them and give them the law. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He says, consecrate them, separate them, tell them to wash all their clothes. You couldn't wash their insides because they are not born in the spirit. So they had outward sanctification. In all religion, what you have is outward sanctification. When it comes to faith, what you have is inward sanctification. The clothes is the robes of righteousness, the garments of salvation. Why should they do that? Because I am coming to the midst tomorrow. On the third day, I will come. So one day is over, thousand years of the Lord. Two days are over, two thousand years. And there will be going to be a thousand years of Jesus' reign. And at the end of three thousand years of human history, after Jesus coming and dying, God will have a set of absolutely sanctified people. Three days. Okay, Understand how history plays out. You will see that in Joshua also, Joshua 3. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay, so understand what is the purpose of sanctification, not sanctification for sanctification's sake. It is all got to do with experiencing God. Because only a sanctified people would be able to experience the presence of God. And only a sanctified people would be able to recognize the wonderful works of God. Okay, in Romans 1, 20 and 21 scripture says. For since the creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that people are without excuse. Because although they knew God. They did not glorify him as God. Nor were thankful. But became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were dark. He says all of creation declares the glory, the majesty, the wonder of God. But because humanity has fallen, their hearts are darkened. They cannot experience God even in creation. They cannot experience God even in creation. And you can see immediately. You will not see man talking about God and his creation. Man talking about man and his creation. When people go on visits to places, what do they go to see? What man has made. We go to Singapore, what is there that God has done? Nothing. You go to New York City, what is, everybody is looking, what man has done. It's, that's where it all began in the Tower of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves. This fallen man is forever glorifying him because he thinks he is the creator. He's not able to experience the majesty and the glory of God. Why? Simple reason is when your hearts are darkened, you cannot experience the presence of God. All you have is religion. You cannot experience the presence of God. So please remember the primary purpose of repentance is so that we can experience God more and more and more. Otherwise repentance would be just a religious exercise. Let me ask you this question for the children who are sitting over here, okay? Imagine you have a severe, very bad viral fever. Five days, you've been ill. And then you go for lunch. Today was special lunch. Everything over there really, really Uncle Kiran's dumka biryani and dumka chicken and all these fineries over there. You take it into your mouth, it doesn't taste good at all. And you tell me, is there anything wrong with the food? Where is the problem? There's no problem with God. The problem is with us that we are not able to taste Him. The command, the challenge is taste and see that the Lord is good. The problem. And God that's why I said you have to look at repentance as a gift as something incredible so that I can taste better taste him better enjoy him better otherwise we will get because repentance is like a bad word the best word God has ever spoken repent repent taste and see that the Lord is good so sin is spiritual sickness that separates man from God. It was the tactic the enemy used in the garden. The devil sinned. And you were separated from God. He used the same tactic with man. If you sin, you will be separated from God. But he didn't tell them that. He said if you actually eat, you will experience God even more. Eat, you will be more like God. You look at Ezekiel chapter 28, 15 and 16. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing. When you were there, you were the cat's whiskers. You were the most beautiful everything because he was reflecting the glory of God. You have the difference between Jesus and Lucifer, okay? Lucifer was Perfect in all his ways from the day you were? Jesus was not created. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the beauty of God. He is a created thing reflecting the beauty and the wisdom of God. Okay. And then he sinned. And he was cast away from the presence of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. That's what sin did there in heaven. He was cast away from the presence of God. And he came and injected the same poison into mankind. Okay, he tells you all these wonderful things about, you know, if you, nothing will happen, you just have to, it's so nice, it's so good, but it separates you from God. And he does that with believers too. Because he knows that if you sin, you will be separated from God. You don't experience God. You look at Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come upon before me. He was told to do something. What does he do? Jonah arose to flee to Tarsus from presence of God. God is telling him to do this thing? So I won't do that. I won't do that. Why? I don't like that people. One, I don't like that people. That's not the major issue. Because if you really don't like the people, you will speak that message. Your issue is that you like the people and you know God. You know that the message is very powerful. That if you preach this message to that people, there is a very good chance they will repent. And I don't want them to repent. Man, I'm waiting for them to go to hell. That is his problem. The problem is not with the message. The problem is this is a prophet who really knows God. The servant who goes, he says, I don't want. I don't want. He goes from the presence of God. He paid the fare, went down into it with them to Tarsus from the presence of God. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his God and threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the Lord. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. whole ship is going topsy-turvy. People are throwing things out. This man is fast asleep. This is the most dangerous sleep of a rebellious servant of God. Even a storm can't wake him up. That's why in Corinthians, God talks about people who took part of a communion and fell asleep. They fell asleep at the communion table spiritually. And you have to be very, very careful about these things. Okay, but you, what do you see over here? He disobeyed God and is going further and further and further and further and further away from the presence of God. So they come up, they throw him. He says, "Throw me!" It's because of my God. He knows the question, answer everything. He knows why is this talk. Don't waste your cargo. Throw me out. I am the cargo that's causing this. <laughs> They're causing this stuff. Just throw me out. They throw him out. The whale takes him. The whale takes him down like I told the pastors yesterday. First day, he didn't repent. He probably ate all the little, smile- little fish that was in the stomach. He ate all of them and said, okay, this is also cool. Let me see how. Con-. He's a battle of will between God and him. Second day also he didn't. Third day he started panicking. Okay, and third day he cried out, Lord have mercy, God says. Okay. To go to Tarsus, he paid a fare. To go to Nineveh, free. God dropped him at Nineveh. Free. That's what I was telling the pastors yesterday. You walk with God, listen to Him, walk in the presence of God, you don't struggle. You don't struggle. So please understand—he's farther away. He's going from the presence of God. Less aware he is of what is happening in the outside world. Okay, because sin separates you, blinds you. So please understand this. In Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-three. In that Romans 7, 21, when people come to say in the last day, everything is over, people are standing before Jesus, they come and says, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, did this in your name, this did this in your name. He says, I don't know you. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice. <laughs> the, the problem is not what he says, I do not know you. That's not the problem. The problem is this, what is the judgment is, away from my presence for eternity. That's the problem. Away. Cannot come back. Away. Understand what eternity means without God. In Jude 1-6, the angels, a few of the angels, or quite a bit of angels, or angels, spiritually all angels, it says, the angels who did not keep their proper domain and left their own about, he has reserved it everlasting chains under darkness. For the great? Judgment of that great? They, now, it can be read in different ways, but I, Personally presume it to be this, that not, they're not physically bound or anything, but they have been completely covered with darkness that they can never come back to God. They're cast away from His presence. They can't come back to God. It's over. For them. Darkness. The great day. Okay, so understand what it means to walk in the presence of God and what it means to go away from the presence of God. Okay, did I give you three references? Uh, Eight Matthew eight twelve. Did I give you? Okay, just let us go one after another quickly. Okay, three situations. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom. What are they called? Sons of the kingdom are thrown into outer darkness. Then. And cast the unprofitable, this is the parable of the talents. okay? God had given them all. Into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's something interesting. The darkness is not called darkness, it's called outer darkness. Okay. In the same way as light. Now, you can see me clearly because I am directly under the... Now as a further and further and further and further, now I am at the outer fringes of the light. I personally believe these are people who were saved, but they do not have total entry into the kingdom of God. They are not in the pitch darkness at the border between light and darkness. They are cast there because you are not faithful. You are sons of the kingdom, but you are not faithful in your walk. And they are able to see here. And they are weeping and gnashing, Lord, what did I miss? What did I miss? All eternity. A lot of people like that in the teenage years when they should study really well, they get into all kind of monkey business. And then in 20, 22, 23, they come out of it all and then the real time has passed by and others who were started with them have reached there and reached there and they are gnashing their teeth. Are they lost? No. Can they make up? No. So understand what salvation means. Understand, sin blinds our eyes. We will not be able to experience the presence of God. That's why when the new covenant begins, the first promise in the new covenant is Matthew one twenty one. The lady, Gee, Mary will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus reason for he will save his people from there. Sin. So when Jesus steps out 30 years later, the first thing he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is there. What will he do first? Save us from our sins. Once I am saved from my sins, from darkness, I move into light. From outside the presence of God into the manifest presence of God. After I am saved. So the second promise in the new covenant is, behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son and they shall call his name. What does it mean? God with me. First get saved and God is with you. First I have to experience him as Yeshua. Then I experience him as Emmanuel. And the more I experience him as Yeshua, the more I experience him as Emmanuel. Because what does Hebrews 7.25 say is, He forever makes Intercession for the saints and anyone who comes to him, keeps coming to him, he is able to save to the uttermost. The more you see, the more. Meaning the more you come to the light, the more you are visible, aware of the darkness in you. Darkness is not here. Darkness is not an entity. It's an absence of light. It's an absence of light. Okay. It's a light. That restrains darkness. Darkness cannot restrain light. Light can restrain darkness. So God says, "Come into light." OK. So this is a process, and we have to see, therefore, death in a different way. Death is separation from God. It is not stop breathing. you will reach another place where you will still breathe, but not this kind of breathing. Because the soul doesn't eternally die. It's either eternally alive with God or eternally in another place away from God. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 31, scripture says, Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Why should you Cast away these things that take you away from the presence of God. Why should you die? O house of Israel, why should you die? So the problem is, God invites us to his presence. And in his presence there is rest. But a lot of people are like those children of Israel who came out of Egypt. In Exodus 20 verse 18 and 19 when God came, they are sanctified outwardly. They are all sanctified. They are waiting. Then God comes. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when people saw it, they trembled and they stood far off. They stood far off. And they told Moses, you speak with us, we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. As if God has come to kill you. No, God has come to give you life. Repentance doesn't kill you, it makes you alive. God is the giver of life. He's not coming on a buffalo. He's come to give you life. He says, no, no, no. Please don't. You speak for us. Verse 20, 21. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you That is, fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Hey, you don't understand it. The fear of God, if you come close to God, the fear of God will come upon you and it actually stops you from Sinning and you experience God more. They experience the presence of God even more. So, the, But people did not listen. Scripture says the people stood far off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The darkness is a symbol. Symbol. If you, your sin blinds you. But a man who is sanctified inside can walk through that darkness and experience God. God is light. It surrounds himself with darkness. For whose sake? Our sake. Every scientifically oriented person sitting here knows that. If the sun were to come like 10 meters closer to us, we are all fried. Right? We are safe because of the distance the sun keeps from us. On the other hand, if the sun decides to go a little more back, we freeze. So God keeps a very safe distance from us. Neither are we frozen, nor are we fried. He says, believe and come close. Come close. Come close to me. You come close to me. I have not come to destroy you. I have come. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come to give you life. And life in abundance. That's in his presence. That is not anywhere else. The problem why they did not draw close to God is because, like so many Christians, they did not leave Egypt to follow Christ. They left Egypt to get out of their troubles. They actually still loved the pleasures of Egypt. There was only one who left Egypt for Christ. It was Moses. Therefore he could easily walk through the darkness into the presence of God. Because he did not leave. Because of all the troubles in his life. He actually had no troubles. His troubles started the day he accepted Jesus. Honestly. The day he accepted Jesus, trouble started in his life. Till then he was a prince enjoying all the splendor and glory of God. So he did not leave because of trouble. He left because of Christ. Look at how beautifully the writer of Hebrews puts about Moses. This is Moses. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the, what was the reward he was looking for? God himself. And what does scripture say? By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured his seeing him who is invisible. Invisible to others, not to Moses. Moses experienced the presence of God. That's why he left. So the reaction of the man, woman, child, who left the world of sin for Christ... Or the man, the woman, the child who left the world of sin because of trouble, yet in the heart misses the pleasures of sin are different. They're absolutely different. That is why this frustration and anger of Moses. Remember when he comes down, what happens? He's up in the presence of God. 40 days later when he comes down, what has happened? People have gone wonky. Absolutely wonky. And Exodus 32 verse 19 and 20. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands, broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which he had made, burned it in the fire, grounded it into powder. He scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink. See the frustration of a man, a woman, a child who is in the presence of God when he comes into the presence of a set of people who don't long after God, we won't understand. He spent presence in God and is coming with something that would draw every man close to God and people are not interested. Not interested at all. And that's his Frustration. Because what he came down with is the very thing that would draw them close to God. And that is also the difference between leadership. Moses and Aaron. In Exodus 32 verse 1 to 4. When the people saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him. Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. See they only knew Moses. They did not know the God of Moses. So Moses is gone. Okay, you make another God for us. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with the engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God of Israel that has brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is the major, major, Issue. Issue is that when you have a leadership that doesn't know the real God who hasn't had a personal encounter with the living God, you know what they will do. They will take the living God and start fashioning it according to the desires of the people. And people will flock to those churches. That is Aaronic leadership. What do you want? In English it is written, God in Hebrew it is written, "Elohim, the name of the living God." It took a look at the calf and said, "This is Elohim, the living God who brought you out of Egypt." That's why you need to see that all the six foundations differ to people, depending on why they believed. Why did you repent? Oh, I was in so much trouble and that pastor prayed over me and I got out of the trouble and he said, pray this prayer after me. So you did not repent because of Jesus. Why did you turn to God? Because of Jesus. Why did you get baptized? To be identified with him. Why did you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? To overcome sin. Why did you want the laying of hands? To serve him more effectively. Why are you interested in the resurrection of the dead? Because I want to be very sure I am part of the first fruits and not the later harvest. Why are you interested in the judgment? Because I am running for the crown of righteousness. It's absolutely different for the man who ran because of Jesus and the man who got out because of trouble. And that's what God is asking about. That's what he's asking us. It's okay, you can start because of trouble. Like so many people in the Gospels. But that shouldn't be the reason why you're following Him. Otherwise you'll always have troubles in your life. Because God says that's the only way He can keep you close to you. Because you won't walk in My presence, you won't seek My presence. And this is the struggle. And most servants of God break under pressure like Aaron. They compromise. They compromise because Aaron never had a real encounter with the living God. It's younger brother Moses who met God. Aaron never. Aaron only heard about the God of Moses. Moses is the one who heard from God. And everyone in the new covenant God says will hear from me. You will know me. This is not a faith that is passed from father to son. This is a faith where every son becomes the son of the living God. And the problem is the compromised leadership will always blame the people. Exodus 32, 21, 22. And Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Look at the leader. He says, what did they do to you that you through your action has brought a great sin upon them? What kind of a leader are you? Your job as a leader is to lead people into holiness. You have led them into sin. You are supposed to lead them to Yahweh. You led them to gold. That's the golden calf. What kind of a leader are you? And that's his elder brother. But spiritually he is the younger one. Moses is the elder one. And Aaron said, Yeah, let me go to the next. I didn't read 24. Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Now he's blaming the people. How can the leader blame the people? He's supposed to lead. They are supposed to follow. And then verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. The job of the leadership is to put restraints. Don't do this. You do this. You will pay the price. Because weak leadership itself is not interested in drawing near to God, it also stops people from drawing near to God. So don't ever forget what was the primary purpose of repentance. What is the primary purpose of repentance? Look at the two statements both John makes and Jesus makes in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. Read it fully. Repent. Ah, Why should you repent? What is the purpose? It's near. That's the reason you repent. Oh, not because of my trouble. Why are you repenting? Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light has come. It's at hand. It's near. That's the reason. The king and the kingdom has come. It's so near. Repent. Get in. Look at what Jesus says in 4.17. And from that time Jesus began to preach. And to say. Repent for the kingdom of God is. Is that what you hear today? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will have a bigger car. A bigger house. A bigger wife. And I don't know. I don't know what they say. Is this the reason to believe? The reason to believe is because. What money can buy, what gold can buy, what eyes haven't seen, no ears heard, has come close. The kingdom of God is near. And that was John's gospel. John only preached one message. Repent the kingdom of God. Repent the kingdom of God. Repent the kingdom of God. They asked him, who are you? Are you this one? Are you that one? Are you this one? He said, no, I am none of that. Who are you? I am a voice in the wilderness. Meaning, I am the one I prophesied about. I am the one. Who is supposed to make the way for him. What's your message? Repent. And if people genuinely repent, what happens? Every hill in their life will be brought down. Every valley will be filled. Every crooked path will be made straight. That's all I can do. And then when they turn to God, the prince of glory comes into their life. I can't do that. That's why he says, all I can do is make the road. That's all I can do. But there is one who coming behind me. I am not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandal. He is the prince of glory. Who I am? Just a road layer. That's all I am. And how do you lay the road? By the gospel of repentance. That is the purpose. The king can come in. The kingdom can come in. It's not about this world. This is not the gospel of this world. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And the king. And the man, the woman who has experienced God will truly hunger and thirst for more. Hunger and thirst. You have tons of passages. Let me give you just one. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you see this? This is the kingdom. It's connected with a person. And this is the question we should always ask. Is this there in my life? Or is just religion? I go to church, I read my, devo- I do my devotions. You're devoted to your devotions, not to the God of the devotions. They are not satisfied. Word 7 in that psalm will say. Can I have word 7? They are not even satisfied. Deep calls unto deep. Deep calls unto deep. That's what God told, showed another prophet. You want to walk with me? Come. He got into the river. First water was still his ankles. Then he went deeper. Higher. Then it went deeper. And then he came to a point he realized he cannot move. On his own. Control is God. Deep calls to the deep. God keeps on calling us. Come. John the, Baptist, John the Apostle in the book of Revelation he calls saying come up. Come up. Come. We are not. Today's gospel is opposite. Come down. Come down. Come down. Meet my needs. Come down. Come down. God says come up. Come up. And see your troubles in a different light. No. I want you to come down and see how big my mountains are. God says, come up and see how small molehills they are. He says, no, you come down. What a gospel. They are not satisfied. Deep calls unto deep. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Lord, what is this? What is this, O oh God? I didn't realize you could experience somebody like this. I can't handle it. My soul is so limited, oh Lord. I cannot handle this. cannot handle this. And God told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Exodus thirty-three fifteen and 16. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. Thank. God, he spoke to this, to God alone in the tent of the meeting. If the people had heard this, they would have gone after him. They would have said, what did you say? You don't want to move from here? You stay here with God, we want to go. What do you mean you want to stay in this wilderness? We were told you go there, there is houses which you haven't built and gold which you haven't worked for and wells which you haven't dug and cattle and flock. That's how today's promise is also. Let us go to the promised land, milk and honey flowing. No, It is not for Jesus. What is the favorite rhyme? We all know. No, Give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. These are Jimmy people. The leader is in the End of the meeting. People are all far away. He's having a dialogue with God. God is saying, "My presence shall go with you." And He's saying, "Lord, if your presence, presence, go with, does not go with us, thank God they didn't hear." For how then it will be known, your people, and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What is he saying? He says, your presence will bring a separation between the people of the world and the people of God. It's your presence that makes a difference. But to be in that presence, it demands sanctification. A set apart people. And then the presence will come. And then that makes us different from others. Verse 17 is interesting. So let's God said to Moses, I also do this thing that you have spoken for. You have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. He says, God is very, very happy with this one man, 80 years old, but very happy. He says, you know what? I also do this thing. Okay, I will do this thing that you have spoken. You have found grace and I know you by name. I know you by name. As soon as Moses finds God is happy with him, he changes his tone. Look at the next verse, verse 18. He said, if you're pleased with me, show me your glory. You think God gets mad when people talk to him? Say, I want to see you. I want your presence. Show me your glory. I want to listen carefully to God's answer. Verse 19 to 23. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live.' And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be why my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Okay, now this is not talking about a physical. This thing, this is talking about the glory of God. God says you cannot face the glory of my face. Okay, you can see my retreating glory. Okay, when I I will cover you when I am passing by. When I have passed by, that's why even I see see, 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 Isaiah sees he sees the train of the robe. Of God filling. Okay. Now you need to understand what this means. Why is it that we have weddings in every community. Every religious community you have weddings. Why is the Christian bride alone dressed differently. And one of the thing is that she has this long train. It is significant of the glory of the resurrected bride of Jesus Christ. The real glory in which she will walk in on that day. It's a glory. Other cultures don't have glory. This is the bride of Jesus Christ. The train is symbolizing the glory. So you will see when the Kate Middleton or the princess Diana and all, the, the train was so long. It's a princess. So glory is even more. This has got nothing to do with that glory on that day when New Jerusalem descends like a bride dress. the glory of that city. Understand what is God is talking about. He says, you can't see my face. I'll pass you by. can't see my face and survive. Instead, when I pass by, you will see the glory behind me. That you can, then I will take my hand so that you can see my glory, awesome God, right let 's look at thirty four verse four to seven again God says, so he, this is okay, all this is later, then he again goes up. He cut two tablets of stone, like the first one, then Moses rose early in the morning, went up to the mountain Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, he took in his hand the two tablets of stone, the Lord descended into the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, even as the Lord is passing by. Okay? He also speaks to him from the midst. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's what he speaks in the midst of his glory. So he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand, and then he passed by. And as he passed by, God showed him the glory that followed God and he spoke from there. Difference. When God spoke to Moses, he gave him the law. And when the law was given, all we saw was the retreating glory of God. But when Jesus came, he was reflecting the glory of God's face and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come with the retreating glory of God. He came with the glory that was on the face of God. But let's not get into that. Let us look at a crucial part. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. This is the question. No No, it's at 33. I'm sorry if I gave you F 34, 18 and 19. Please show me your glory. What did he ask? What did God say? I will show you my He asked for? Glory. God says, you see my glory in my goodness. Where do you see my glory? In my goodness. We always, because we have seen all this Amarchitar Kadra and all this glory, we will see all this light and flashing, all these things. That's why now pastors also need this light because they need glory. Even Even if they don't have goodness, they want light. That is a different thing. But that's not what God is talking about. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. How long will you stand looking at the light? It's not going to change your life. But you and I want goodness. You and I need goodness. He says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And God connects his glory to his goodness. Now you'll ask me, let me ask you this question to the church. Have you experienced the goodness of God in your life? Have you recognized his glory? Is there one person sitting here who can say that, oh I did not experience the goodness of God. Have you given him glory? Everything of God flows out of his goodness. That's why he says again, Exodus 34, 6, when it actually happens, here is the promise, the other is the real thing. And the Lord passed before him, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He passed before him. His mercy flows out of his goodness. His compassion flows out of his goodness. His long-suffering comes out of his goodness. He abounds in goodness. His judgment flows out of his goodness. And we have to see that. We have to understand the things that become almost like a rhyme in our mind and our mouth. God is good all the time. Do we really understand what it means? He is good all the time. He cannot be bad. It's out of his goodness everything flows. Even judgment flows because God is good. That's why you see that both happening. I will long suffering, merciful and I will visit the iniquity to the first, to the second, to the third, to the fourth generation. Because he says, because I am good I have to judge. I have to judge. All this revelation is to a man. That when Jesus comes, look at John 1 and verse 14. What scripture says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of? Full of? How did they know he was full of grace? Full of glory. Because they thought we saw the grace and the truth in his life. Full of glory. Change his perceptions, understand truth from the word of God. Not from movies. What it means, the glory of God to us today. If The Old Testament saints lived to experience the glory of God that Moses talked about. How much more we new covenant saints must proclaim the glory of God in Christ Jesus and the goodness of God. And where is this glory, the goodness of God first revealed to you and me? Romans 2.4 Do you despise the riches of his goodness? Forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads you to? Did you realize? Do you see the glory of God? He's so patient. He should have kicked you off long time ago. He said, no, hopeless fellow, let him go to hell. He didn't. He said, he's just giving time, 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 time. Long-suffering, long-suffering, long-suffering. It's the goodness of God. Did you see his glory in his goodness? The very fact that you're alive, still not eternally condemned. Do you see his goodness there? It's the goodness of God. And therefore, when we repent, we repent because of the goodness of God. And when we turn to God in faith, what we experience is the goodness of God. And the more we repent and turn, the more of his goodness we experience. That's God. Malachi 3:6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not. Ah, that's a very different way. Diff- if you don't change, I should be consumed. Right? If you don't change, you're the same. God, yesterday, forever, who kicked Lucifer out of heaven and Adam and Eve, then I should be consumed. He says, no, you're not consumed because I don't change. What am I? God is good all the time. It's because of my goodness. Oh, Jacob, you are not consumed. You are not consumed. That is what Moses learns at the end of his life. He says, even in judgment, you know, Lord, you are good. I want to go to Deuteronomy 32 fast. Verse 3 and 4. This is the end of his life. I guess a few more days and Moses will die. Or in so many ways he will be knocked out. Because he has to die before Israel can enter in the promised land. And this fellow is refusing to die. No bone in his body is weak, not a cell is sick, and his eyes are bright, his nostrils are flaring, everything. God says, hello, no, die. They're all waiting to enter. I can't change my word. I said, you will not enter, so you die so they can enter. So he's not dying, so God says, let's go to a walk and finish him off. <laughs> That's why scripture says, God buried him. Doesn't scripture say? God? So the question is, who killed him? <laughs> Just a joke. <laughs> now, at the end of his life, he who pursued Jesus Christ and left Egypt, if you look at it materially in your life, Moses, what did you achieve in this world? Nothing. Nothing. Did you get a house? No, I left a house. Did you get gold and silver? No. Did you enter the promised land? No. Did you get your family? in? No. Did you get the people? in? No. He says, I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Upright. And? How can you say this, Moses? What do you say? I got Jesus. And his worth.
1: All the
0: treasures, more than the treasures of Egypt, and all the promises of this promised land, I got Jesus. And I know all his ways are right. Even in judgment, he's right. Do you understand that? Do you see God that way, That is he's good? And there are people in the Old and New Testament who understood the goodness of God in everything. When God says, I don't change, he's good all the time. When he gives you the biggest spanking you ever got in life, he's still good. He doesn't change. Psalm 119 verse 41, uh, 71. This is what David says. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Good for me. How can it be good when you're afflicted? Because when I was afflicted, I learned his law. And when you learned, what did you get out of it? I walked more into his presence, experienced more of his goodness. So it was good for me that I was afflicted. This people will only say when the object of your pursuit is God and nothing else. Otherwise you cannot say this. It's just theology. When the object of your pursuit is God, you will say all things are good. It's good. God is good all the time. Next verse which I gave you, Psalm 119, 75. I know, O God, that your judgments are right, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. You are so good. That's why you whacked me like never. What Jesse my father forgot to give me, you gave me a double measure. I love you Lord. What a man. That was a king. So we have to focus on that one thing about God. God is good. God is good. When you go through life, whatever you go through life, I am telling you, this is the constant, your heart has to be fixed. What is that? God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good. Let me tell you to married couples over here. If you want stability in your marriage, marriages which are very, very stable in spite of every storm that is flowing blowing is because one partner has recognized the other partner is inherently good. I have faced more storms in life with my wife. The struggles, not we go interpersonally, but because of the ministry. But it doesn't shake because I know she is good. I'm telling you husbands and wives here. Accept this fact. Your spouse. That's why God says, do not marry an unbeliever. Because a believer has Christ and Christ is good. That brings stability. That's the anger of your soul. When you know that, it doesn't matter what storm hits your marriage. You will always tide over. Why? Because you know the person is good. The same way in your relationship with God. You know God is good. You know God is good. Jesus knew his God was good. Therefore, he slept happily and peacefully in the storm because he knew he could not be destroyed by the storm because he knew his God was good. Peter could sleep when the king was planning to execute him the next day because now Peter knew God was good. Paul and Silas could worship and sing with chains and backs broken because they knew God was good. This is what your life, your heart has to zero into. God is good. I'm not saying you will not fail. I'm not saying you will not fall. I will not say you are not sin. But it doesn't matter how Far below you fall. If in the heart of your heart you know God is good, you will rise. That's why prophets and all in the middle of calamity say, So you enemy, you don't laugh that I have fallen. I will rise. I will rise. I will rise. Because you are banking, not, at, at, not even in your repentance. You are not even banking on your faith towards God. You are banking on the goodness of God. I repented because God is good. I turned to God in faith because God is good. I am not putting my faith in me and my strength. I have put my faith in him and in his goodness. Because he never changes. He is good. He's good always. That's what God is talking about. After 16 months... Of absolute, total darkness in the Philistine camp. The man who had killed the champion of the Philistines. When he comes back, look at the gory details. Everything is lost. David's men came to the city. There it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinom, Jezreel, Abigail, the widow of Nabal, had been taken captive. And David, on top of that, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But, but, how did he strengthen himself in the Lord? Because he knew, even in my darkest hour, there is somebody who does not change. That is my God. He is good. He is always good. He's good. He's always good. That's why the Bible gives it graphic details. Paul and Silas were taken, stripped naked, beaten and thrown into the prison at what hour? Midnight hour when it is darkest and they sang because they knew even in the darkest hour there is somebody who does not change in my life. It is he. He is good. He's always good. It's always good. The question is if you don't believe God is good. Why would the next verses come over there? It's not just that you believe God is good. You actually act that God is good. That's the proof of your belief. Faith without works is dead. It's not just faith. It is faith and a work coming. Look at verse 7. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the effort here to me. Abiathar brought the effort to David and David inquired of the Lord. What is he inquiring? (laughs) Lord, what shall I do? No. I know what I am supposed to do. My question is, do you want me to go or not? Shall I pursue? Shall I pursue? And if I pursue, shall I overtake? And he answered him pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all you will know David I am good even in your darkest hour I am good you will pursue you will overtake I will give you victory you will get back everything that you have lost do you get it what it means to say that God is good should read go home and read Psalm 27 the Psalms of this man who believed in God and knew God was always good look at Psalm 27 and verse 13 I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living I would have lost but I believed in one thing in the land of the living I will see your goodness therefore I prevailed no God That's why Daniel says, They who know God shall do great exploits. They know God. They know the character of God. They know the heart of God. And they know know, this God is good. He's all the time good. And he never changes. That is our strength. Our strength is not in our confession. Our strength is not in our own faith. Our strength is not in our prayer. All these are good. Our strength is in one thing. The goodness of God. It is in the goodness of God. Second big goof of worst in his life. Betcha, child, murder, lying, deceit, adultery—you name it, he could claim it. You could name any sin, David could claim it. Down to the dumps. Then before your eyes, judgment has been passed. Child is dying. Child is dead. 2nd Samuel chapter 12, 22-23. After child is dead, he comes back after. He goes to worship. Why does he go to worship? Oh, my child is dead. I am going through so much calamity. I don't feel like going to church. Really? Because of your calamity, God changed. Huh? My child is dead. Let me go to worship. Why? God is good all the time. My child is dead, but God hasn't changed. He's still the same worthy of my worship. When my son died at 45 days old, one of my children, he died on a Thursday. The Lord told me on Sunday, the pastor called me and said, James, you are supposed to lead worship on Sunday. Will you? I said, I will let you know, pastor. A little later, the Lord said, what do you mean you will let him know? Son died on Thursday, you cannot worship me on Sunday? I called back and said, yes, Lord, I will worship you. Calamities mean you don't worship? It affects your worship. Because if it affects your worship in the deepest part, you think God has changed. God hasn't changed. He worships. And then the people ask this question, what is this? He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that child may live? Who said, I pray. Because God is good. God is good. He may change his mind and say, okay, take the child. But now he's dead, why should I fast? He's still good. He's still good. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. Why? Because God is good. Later we will probably understand. Lord, thank you Lord. I really, really thank you. That child died. Really thank you. That child died. Thank you Lord. The child died. You think about it. Wasn't it good the child died? Not because of what happened in his life. the child had lived, he would have become the king. And there would be always a question mark. Whose child is this? Uriah's or David's? God said, let the child die. Because the throne will go to Bethsabah's son. Therefore, let him die. You have to see in hindsight, wonderful God, what he's doing. Because he's looking at Israel. That's why when things don't happen, even though we don't understand by faith, we still worship him because he's good. All his ways are good. Then one day we will understand, oh Lord, thank you, Lord. What time I said, Lord, remove it. Thank you, Lord, you didn't remove. If I had removed, I would have been in bigger trouble. Third biggest goof of counting is army. God's judgment, multiple answer question. You can choose A, B or C. God so said you choose this time. You can choose. You see when it comes to punishment. God allows us to sometimes choose. You can choose. His answer. I'm sorry I didn't give it to you right. Samuel, 2 Samuel 24 14. 2 Samuel 24 14. David said to the Lord. God I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. And do not let me fall into the hand of man. He says you know what. God is good. Even when he judges, he judges because he is good. We don't judge because we are good. That's why God says don't judge. One of the reasons, we have to judge, but the reason God tells man not to judge is because we judge because not we are good, but because we are evil. So God says don't judge. Yet he says the spiritual man judges all things. And he himself not, because the spiritual man has learned to judge through the eyes of God. He's judging, but he's still loving the person. He knows it has to be judged, but he loves, therefore he judges. And what does he say? God is good, so let me fall into the hands. This is the confidence of this man. I'm going through the valley of shadow of death. I'm surrounded by my enemies. But goodness and mercy. Why should goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life? Because my God is God. That's the reason. Where are you? Running from Saul. Where are you? In the wilderness. What you are experiencing? Goodness and mercy. Why? Because my God is God. That's why men. In the Bible and in Christendom, the true servants of God experience the goodness of God and explain the goodness of God. In Jeremiah 31 verse 14, I will satiate, you know what that word means? Meaning you can't even have one more drop more. It's like the old kings of India, they loved sweet, buy some kheer and also they used to lie like this, one fellow will pour, one fellow will take on. He just wants the taste. You're satiated, you're full. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my... Pastor Vijay, you get it? This is for you too. As a priest, your soul has to be filled with the abundance of God and then when we come here, we fill people with the goodness of God. What is asked from the priest, what is asked from the people are two different things. The priest in his soul, he fills himself with God. Then he comes and he proclaims the goodness of God to the people. the purpose of the ministry in the house of God. And the first goodness of God is repent for the kingdom of God is. Oh, he says, just get out of that mad race and get in. You have no clue what is over there. Do you know what this is saying? The rest, the joy, the mercy, the compassion, the love, the goodness. Now and for evermore. What are you running after in that mad world for? What can you say in that world? Oh, I got this degree. Yeah, they're going to bury your degree sheet with you. I built this house. Where are you going to take it? You remember what God called the rich fellow? Rich fool. There are rich fools, intellectual fools. The fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." So all kinds of fools are there. But we are the people who don't mind the world calling us fools because we have become fools for Christ's sake. We are also fools, but fools of Christ. I want somebody to start a ministry like that. I'm giving you a cue, okay? Fools for Christ. I have heard many warriors of Christ, chariots of Christ and I'm calling you what? Fools for Christ. Even the title will bring attraction to your ministry, okay? This is the purpose of ministry. Because what is the church in the new covenant? Hebrews 12 verse 22-23. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Everybody is trying to get their driving registration and all you are registered in heaven. Don't worry if you miss a registration here. Do you know where your name is written? The Lamb's book of life registered in heaven to God, the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect. What is Zion? Look at Zion. What is Zion? Now wait a second. Jeremiah 31 and verse 12. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more at all. Which is the truth. (laughs) Which is the truth. We may have a burden but there is something in us that nothing can take away because the world did not give it. We will sorrow for perishing souls, but we don't sorrow over our calamities that's been taken away. That's why scripture says salvation effect is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can lose your job, you can lose your house, you can lose all, it doesn't make any difference. Scripture says in the book of Hebrew they joyfully gave away all those things because nothing could compare to what they had received. That's Zion. We have come to Zion. And there is what? If you in your spirit come to Zion today to the assembly of the living God, what do you have from heaven? Live streaming. You thought live streaming started after the computer. It started in the Bible. And what is this streaming? Streaming to the goodness of the Lord. Think about it. I don't know how people cannot enjoy this God. that is why scripture says in Romans 11:22 consider the goodness and the severity of god consider both on those who fell that's why when you fall god says repent come back to my goodness otherwise i will be still severe cause i want you to bring you back to repentance and to if you continue in his goodness Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Are you getting the picture, Church? As we are slowly winding up. The message of repentance is to continue in the goodness of God. Goodness of God. Continue. He took you from the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the light. But when we came into the light, we didn't go to the center. We are in the outer light little glimpse of the taste of heaven we had. Now he says, keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving towards the light. Keep moving towards the light. And You know how John puts it beautifully in 1 John chapter 1? Yeah, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You're constantly reminded of your sin, constantly repenting, constantly cleansed. And everybody who is within that light, you're able to fellowship. To others, you're kind. But within that light, you're able to fellowship because everything is in the light. Those people who are walking in the light, about them everything is in the light. But the people who are sitting in the darkness will be only able to see their dark spots. God said there is nothing in them. Balaam and Balak are all standing in the darkness and cursing Israel. God says what are you talking about? I see nothing in Israel. They are in the light as I am in the light. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 and 9. You were once darkness. But now you are light. Walk as children of light. If you walk in the children of light what will happen to you? The very spirit of that good God is given birth to you. That spirit is within you and the fruit of the spirit in all will start flowing from you too. Goodness will start coming out of you. Our ministries should be a ministry that is birthed in the goodness of God. Not in Not social work. It is birthed in the goodness of God. People who have actually experienced the goodness of God should only start ministries. Because they know what God is good. Others are hirelings. The Bible talks about hirelings. They are not hirelings. The ministry. For the fruit of the spirit in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Are you getting the picture? Therefore Romans 8.28 says, All things Ah, Why? Why Why should all things work together for those who love Christ Jesus? Why? Because God is. And they know God is good all the time. They know God is good all the time. Even when he doesn't speak, they know God is good. Even when there is thunder and lightning in your life, they know God is good. Even when there is absolute darkness, you still know God is good. And for them, all things work together. So, you have this confidence when you come to the Lord and you got saved. Let us say in an older age, you are able to look back at the goodness of God and you are able to say Psalm 25, 7, right? Do not remember sins of my youth. Know my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. Why? For your goodness sake, Lord. I hear a lot of people, Lord, I waste my life while this thing, what did I do? God says, don't worry. Am I good? Or are you good? No, Lord, you are good. If I am good, I will blot out all the sins of your youth and your transgressions. You don't have to worry. It's taken away. That's why the challenge in the Bible, taste and see, That's why we preach against sin and against the world because it takes away the joy of God and it doesn't help you make you experience the goodness of God because the world is directly created by the devil so that we don't experience the goodness of God. And problem is we get blinded and we miss the best. And not the other best life now. The best life now is tasting the goodness of God now. Goodness of God now. That's why even the most righteous man, one of the, of his time, one of the most, even God calls him righteous. Absolutely righteous man. At the end of his life, in Job 42 verse 1 to 6, just look at this righteous man. What he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from me. Yeah. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak, you said. I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing, hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and... What does he say? I only heard about your goodness. When I went through all this trouble, I started questioning your goodness. Now that my eyes have seen your goodness, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. The thing is that as you walk and experience more of goodness, there will be always room for repentance. Earlier Job had thought God is good. But now he knew God is not just good. He is the best. He is the best. He's not good. He is the best. Say close. Let me ask you this question. You know the answer by now. Why did the prodigal son come back home? Because he knew his father was good. Because he knew his father was good. Was in the pit pen, pig pen, eating slop, and he came to his senses. First thing that came to his mind is, My father is good. To whom? To whom? To whom? Servants in the all God's children sitting over here. Is God good to those who don't believe? Does he? He says, my rain falls upon everybody. Is he good to those who don't believe in him? How much more is he good to those who are his children? Think about it. That's what Paul says in Romans, right? If he did not spare his only son for us, how much more will he give us? Why are you walking around so worried? Don't you know your father is good? Isn't that what he said? You fathers being evil know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your father in heaven who is absolutely good give you? God is good? All the time? Now go back home with that ringing in your ears. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father this morning we just come to you Lord. Lord. The first thing we want to acknowledge, O Lord, there were so many times in our life we questioned your goodness. We struggled to understand your goodness. But that never changed your mind or your heart towards us. You were always good. We look back and we see, Lord, you were always good to us. In all of eternity, you will still be always good to us. Because you are good. And I pray, Father, we will walk towards the light. We will not stay in the outer light, the fringes of your kingdom. We will walk into your goodness. Walk into your light. Experience you more and more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We will hunger and thirst after your word. And truly as your word says, we will experience it is sweeter than the honey, the honey in the rock. Cause that's who you are. And that's your nature, oh God. And therefore when that day comes, the day of death comes, there'll be no fear. There will be incredible joy and expectancy. And we too will be able to say then in our last hour I had heard with my ear about your goodness but now I'm going to see your goodness. Oh Jesus will all of eternity be enough for us to know and experience your goodness O oh Lord. Teach us Lord. Teach us. As Moses prayed that day we also pray, teach us your ways and show us your glory every day. Let your goodness pass before us as in the days of Moses and let the goodness well within us as in the days of Jesus. Because one greater than Moses has come into our lives. We just want to thank you, Lord. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. By faith, we just want to now lift up holy hands and bless your holy name. Because you are good. We want to bless your holy name. We want to bless your holy name, Lord. We want to proclaim, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.